Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome to another week. Yeah, another week. Virtual recording this time, but still at it. Yeah. Excited to get together and geek out with you on personal finance. Yeah. What are we going to geek out on today? Well, you know, we've covered so many topics now over the years. I think every once in a while, it's important to come back to some of the basics. So today I was thinking, especially with all the movement and markets that's happened, numbers might have changed for people. So what a good time to come back and talk about how to determine your net worth or your balance sheet and things we think about as we start to look through that with clients. Yeah. Yeah. Every week we kind of talk about what are we going to discuss today? And obviously usually it's based somewhat on listener questions, not even somewhat, but usually fully on listener questions. And there's obviously a lot of questions that we can answer, but sometimes it's just good to go back to the basics and understand what are some of the fundamental things that we need to know? Because once you have these fundamental things in place, everything else kind of stacks on top of that. So I'm excited to do this. Absolutely. And You know, knowing the basics, knowing the underlying information helps you determine what should I do next, right? Because the textbook answer of what to do next is not always correct, especially when we start to include people's goals and then their life circumstance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what's one of the fundamental things? Obviously, there's plenty of even those, but where do you want to start today? Yeah. So, you know, if for listeners at home or on your drive, not when you're driving, but You know, you can do this really simply with a notepad or an Excel sheet. You really just want to have two sides of the paper split in half, right? So there's what do you own? You could also call those assets. And then there's what do you owe? We could also call that liabilities. And so my thought was let's walk through assets from kind of the way you and I would think about it's probably the most liquid to the least liquid. And then we can walk through liabilities and we can talk about how we arrive at net worth and then maybe some things we'd think about along the way. Perfect. Yeah. And so really what we're doing is helping to unpack just that. How do you determine what your net worth is? And it's more than just a status symbol. You know, it's not just to say, oh, my net worth is this or it's that and I'm trying to increase it. Your your net worth really tells a story about where you are today, even how you got to where you are today. And we'll help you to see what are the next things you should do going forward, depending on what some of those goals that you have might be. So a very fundamental piece in everyone's financial planning. Completely agree. And the only thing I would add to that is, you know, it really is a net worth because the way we're going to describe it now, you literally go look up these numbers and write them down. So it really becomes a snapshot of where you are right now, which is to James just alluded to will help point where do I want to go next? The most important thing is if you look at this, you know, once a year, maybe once every six months, you start to see the story in between the snapshots. What happened that caused this to change and what do I want to do about it? And that's really what financial planning is at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where should we start with this? Yeah, well, let's start with the assets. And why don't we start with the most liquid? How would you view that or what would you be looking for there? 
cash. You know, when we mean liquid, what do we mean by that? Well, you can have many different assets, cash, stocks, property, vehicles, jewelry. Not all those assets are liquid. And what liquid means is could you easily turn that around and convert it to cash or have that money available to spend freely? And the most liquid of all those is cash, which is typically checking and savings accounts that you might have at your bank. Yeah. So we'll see checking accounts, savings accounts, maybe online savings accounts, other things that might be here with like a lot of the news. A lot of people were going and investing in I bonds, you know, like things like that we're going to see are going to be the most. And to your point, the idea of liquidity, liquidity, basically, as you just said, how fast can I turn this into cash? And what are the repercussions of doing so? Right. And as you just pointed out, checking account, savings account and cash, there really are no repercussions. You can turn it to cash immediately. It already is cash. Exactly. So what we're going to get here is as we go from most liquid to least liquid, there's always a trade-off here. Most liquid doesn't necessarily mean best. Most stable doesn't necessarily mean best, but every part of the balance sheet hopefully is going to be able to accomplish some goal for you. And the goal as we're looking at this is we want to have a certain amount of money in cash. Now, we maybe don't want to have our long-term savings in cash. We don't want to have the stuff that needs to grow for us in cash, but we certainly need stuff that is maybe part of an emergency fund, where if there's a job loss or an unexpected expense, that needs to be in cash. We certainly need to have the stuff that if we're going to use this money to pay for our known expense in, say, the coming year or two, whether that's a vacation or a new car or tuition or whatever it might be, those are the types of things we want to have in cash because of that liquidity. We're not looking for growth. We're looking for stability, liquidity, and that money to be there when we need it. Absolutely. The little thing that I found to be most helpful, a little pro tip would be, you know, you can have more than one savings account online very easily. Like I think you can actually, some of them, you can even divide one savings account into a number of goals. So you might have money earmarked for taxes or vacation or your emergency fund, and you can have them labeled that way on your balance sheet. So you know exactly what they're for. Yeah, we do that. You know, we have our normal checking account and savings account, Ashlyn and I, and then we have our travel savings account. We have our gifts savings account, which is okay when Christmas comes along or birthdays or anniversary, we just want to have money set aside or new car savings account. And what it does is, and this is kind of a topic for another day, but even as you're budgeting, how do you budget for travel if it's going to cost five grand in a month? Well, that's maybe not easy to pay for just your normal monthly cash flow. So how do you set aside a monthly amount and have that as part of your liquid cash so that when that time comes, you can pay for some of those things. But I think that's the first place you want to look at on the balance sheet because it's going to help you with those short-term needs and goals. Absolutely. Now from there, I think the next thing we're probably going to see if someone has it would be like a brokerage account. So either a, you know, might be in their individual name or a joint account if you have a, if you're married or it might even be in the name of your trust if you have a trust established already. And that's where you probably have stocks and bonds are invested, maybe real estate, you know, REITs, things like that. But it's really, it's taxable. It can, money can come in and out of it rather easily that we don't have these wrappers of being a qualified account through the tax code. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, I think you and I would both consider these equally liquid as cash because it can easily be converted to cash, but it's not in the same category because it's not as stable as cash. If it's right. invested, it's going to fluctuate more, so more growth potential, 
but a different category than cash because it is going to grow, but it's also going to fluctuate. Um, and so typically earmarked for a different time horizon. Yep. And so that's where we'll have those conversations around what's this money for and what's the time horizon and what should you do with it? Should you keep it really, really liquid in cash or savings account? Or do you want to be investing it? 100% on board with you there. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. I think another thing you might see here would be if someone's built up a concentrated stock position, maybe they have restricted stock units or ESPP through work or some type of company plan that has converted you know, stock to a taxable account, you would probably see that here too. Yeah. Investments that aren't tied up in a retirement plan, essentially, where there's not a penalty to turn around and access that if you needed to. Yep. So to me, if you get to the bottom of that line, I would draw a first line. It's kind of like a subtotal. What's the amount I have between cash, checking, savings, taxable accounts, you know, investment accounts in a company stock, things like that. Those are all liquid assets that you can do something with relatively easily. Yep. Yep. And by the way, we'll circle back with, okay, how do we translate some of this? Like what's the, so what of this? Because there's not a definitive, you should have X number of dollars in cash or X in brokerage or X in this. But we'll go through some of these and then we'll talk about what planning points, what takeaways can you gather from some of this? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think we should put next? Retirement accounts. And so you might call these, well, you'll call these qualified retirement accounts. And this includes 401ks, IRAs, Roth IRAs, 403bs, really anything that you are getting a tax advantage for putting your money into, but those funds typically aren't available until retirement or 59 and a half. So that money, yes, technically it could be converted to cash pretty quickly, but you're going to pay a penalty to do so. So it's not money that we think of as being liquid in the same way cash or brokerage accounts are. Totally. Yeah. It kind of has, most of these have that goal associated with it of retirement, right? I think HSAs could probably fall under this as well. Health savings accounts because they're qualified would make it in, under this bucket for me. Maybe deferred compensation plans if you're an executive and you're saving above and beyond the 401k limits. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. And the goal of this isn't to get it. You can slice this up so many different ways. You could even argue for, okay, separate Roth retirement plans from pre-tax retirement plans. You could dice this up so many different ways. I think the goal is to understand high level where stuff is. But if you're doing the basics, if it's a retirement plan, if there's some tax benefits for it, include the HSAs. That's the goal here. Yeah. I think 529s are kind of a qualified account too. I like to kick those off of the balance sheet for clients when we're doing retirement planning, but they obviously hit a goal for college funding. So they'd be there too. Yeah. And I think that kind of wraps it for qualified plans. It's mostly those retirement accounts. I think 529s could be a one-off. And then Going on down the line for less, you know, things that are less liquid, I kind of think like old stock option plans, like the non-qualified stock options and the incentive stock options, those kind of would be down there too for me. And then probably move into real estate after that. What do you think? Yeah, real estate, maybe the least liquid of all of these. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Why do you like to put stock option plans separately from the RSUs and ESPPs? Simply because, because of there's the, more. Because- with the complexity of it, and it might be out of the money or in the money, right? So it may have value or it may have no value where the RSUs and the ESPP are always going to have value. Yeah. Yep. So I just kind of, from a liquidity standpoint, it really is, you know, privately held too would be kind of down here, in my opinion, if it's a privately held stock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Agreed. Yeah, I figured that was the case. Just wanted to confirm where we talked about stock plans being part of taxable investment accounts that are on the more liquid side. These may or may not be based upon, well, if you don't have stock options, it's irrelevant. But if you do, you know there's something called the strike price. You know that there's kind of the vesting schedules. There's different stuff that may or may not make these actually available quite yet. Oh, yeah, I got way too geeky into the in the money and out of the money, didn't I? <laughs> Basically meaning if it's worth anything. Yeah. And then real estate, of course, is for, as far as liquidity, not as liquid, right? We get to pay that like in around here, state of California, like probably a 5% or 6% commission to go sell our property if we want to sell it. And then I actually put business interests at the very bottom for like small business owners or people who maybe invested in a privately held investment of some type. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Even less liquid than real estate, just because real estate, there's typically fair market value for a property based upon comps and other things. Whereas your business, there's also a market value for that, but it might be a little bit more intricate to try to determine that valuation and more work needed to take care of that. Exactly. So you total all those things up. And to me, there's your total assets. Great. The thing I didn't include there, and I don't know what your thoughts are, but I didn't really put personal property in here for our listeners because my thought is like the clothes I have in my house and my car and, you know, those things, they're not, I, they have a value for me personally, but I'm not going to go turn around and sell it. I want your clothes if something happens to you. Right. Well, you'll them. probably get them on buy nothing. Though. I'll buy them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You'll look like a little boy in a, in a tight shirt because well. you're, you're just way in way better shape than I am. So. <laughs> Well, one person's trash is another person's treasure. So I think you have great stuff. Anyways, so those are your assets. What do we do next? Yeah, I think now we go look at the other side of that sheet, right? So we have assets on the left side. Now on the right side, we're going to go put all of our liabilities or our debts, what we owe. And what would you put there? What would you start with? Typically kind of consume, well, just credit card debt, typically. The stuff that is for everyday expenses that you might have. Now, even if you're paying this off monthly, just even including it sometimes, knowing what's that average balance you're carrying, that's where I would start. Agreed. We actually had a newer client ask us the other day, do we need to list our credit cards here? And they pay them off monthly. And I was like, well, we work with clients on an ongoing basis. So I was like, well, absolutely do so that we know what credit cards you have open should knock on wood anything ever happen to you. We could at least convey to your family what you need to be looking out for. Yeah. And also to know how strong is your cash position actually. And you know, if you've got a credit card balance of eight grand, all the time, yeah. 15 grand in cash, well, half of that's already committed just for the payoff at the end of the month. So you, you know, it gives you a sense of how far will that cash go if needed. Yeah, exactly. Things we'll usually see as well would be like car loans, student loans, if you had them in the past or might have them for a student now. And then what else do you typically say? Mortgages. It's a big one. Mortgages, equity line of credits, liabilities against your property. So secured by a property, typically the lowest of the interest rates that you're going to have on any of your debts, but also typically the largest of the debts that you're going to have. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Those are the liabilities, everything you owe. So what we've done so far is we've totaled up what you own, I should say, your assets, cash, brokerage accounts, retirement accounts, real estate. We've added up up what we owe, which is credit cards, car loans, student loans, mortgages. You take the difference of those and that's your net worth. So you add up your real estate plus your investments, plus your cash. Let's say that's a million dollars. And then let's say you have 
mortgage of $300,000 and a car loan of $25,000. Well, your net worth is $675,000 when you take what you own minus what you owe. So that's that's a good starting point. But what do we do from there? Because we don't want to just knowing the information is good, knowing what to do with it is even better. What do we do with some of that? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, it's helpful to know what you have. Right. But then more importantly, how do you analyze what you have? Right. You're on the same page. The first thing I don't know, I'm going to tell you the things I would jump out at first. I want to go look at really quickly. If I know how much a client spends in an annual in a month, I would want to know how much liquid cash they have to know how many months of cash flow they have ready and available at any time. So I'd probably go look at how much cash do they have, what's their current balance on their credit card, net those two things out. Maybe they have 50 and they spend, I'm just going to make up a number, 10. Let's say they have a $5,000 balance on their credit card. Well, then they'd have, what, 50 minus 5 would be 45 divided by 10. They'd have four and a half months of cash flow. The question is, is it enough? That would be okay. I just want to know that really quickly. Yep. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't matter if you're just getting started or if you have millions of dollars having liquidity is crucial. And by liquidity, not just a week's worth or a month's worth, but really do you have enough money just in liquid reserves that if something happened to you, you could get by for some time? Because it doesn't matter how much you have, what your income is, if something happens to you and you have to go take out expensive debt to make ends meet, or you have to start liquidating retirement accounts to make ends meet. You know, we go back to 2008 and how did a lot of people get burned? Well, they were over leveraged in illiquid assets and didn't have enough cash. Had there been more in cash and liquidity, a lot of those people could have been able to continue to see their way out of that. But if you don't have the cash and something happens, that's a really difficult place to be in. So that's always where we want to start. Really, I think, as you mentioned, Scott, it's also nice to know not just your balance sheet, but what's your income and what's your monthly expenses, because that also helps to paint the picture here. But starting there, do you have enough in liquid reserves, which would be a combination of cash first and foremost, but then also even those brokerage accounts if needed to be okay if something were to happen? Yeah, we could do a whole nother refresher episode just on that, on income and dividing it into a few buckets for sure. Yeah, I agree. But so knowing how liquid someone is quickly tells us a lot, doesn't it? And it lets us know pretty quickly, like, where should they allocate the next dollar more than likely if they don't have any liquidity, something that we can focus on really quickly because it helps add a lot of resiliency to your financial life, as you just mentioned, to have liquidity and kind of the shock absorber of your financial life. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can look at, you know, someone has a net worth of, I'll use my same example, $5 million. But what that really is, is $15 million of real estate and $10 million of mortgages and nothing in cash. That's an extremely risky situation. Yes. So the net worth alone doesn't paint the whole picture, but having it broken down in these components like we're talking about really helps because you can see, okay, let's play out some scenarios here. If things go well, great. If things don't go well, are you going to have the things needed to be able to get by? Yeah, absolutely. What else do you think you'd want to look at from the balance sheet perspective as we're starting to chat this through? Well, one of the things is just there's not a perfect, a client once asked me, said, hey, what's the right amount to have in Roth versus pre-tax versus taxable? I'm There's not a here. perfect amount because everyone's different and everyone's got unique goals and unique needs. But when you know what those goals are, you can start to see, is there a gap based upon what you want to do and based upon what your balance sheet looks like? A common example we'll give is, okay, are you in a corporate career and you want to either 
go start your own business or you want to take a sabbatical or you want to do something, well, great. But if all of your monies and retirement accounts, even if you've done really, really well there, those aren't really accessible without a steep penalty until you're 59 and a half. So how can you start to align the goals that you have with where your money's allocated? Again, not just the number of your net worth, but how is that net worth number allocated between the different types of accounts? Completely agree. And I think that another interesting thing just to look at there when someone starts working with us and progresses is what is that mix? And how is that mix changing between taxable Roth and tax pre-tax, right? Because you know, someone who retires with all of their money in pre-tax, which we see now with a lot of the boomers, that can create a lot of planning opportunities when they're retiring to help reduce their tax burden over their lifetime, but it actually creates a pretty big tax burden. So it's just balancing all of that out absolutely is crucial. Yep. Yep. Fully agree. Anything else you would look at on this? So I think another interesting mix just to look at big picture for people is what's the percentage of your assets between or your net worth. You could look at it as net worth because if you don't really carry a ton of revolving debt, your net worth, you're more than likely the biggest debt people are going to have is going to be tied to real estate. And you can get an equity amount of real estate by saying like you just did, they have a million dollar property with a $300,000 mortgage. So there's really $700,000 of equity there, right? Or I think that's, oh, you said a million dollar net worth, pardon me, in the I example. I remember. But, but anyway, like any, anyway, I can't remember that anyway the idea would be, let's just say it's a million dollars of net worth and $700,000 of equity. Well, if we go look at that, then you have 70% of your net worth sitting in your home, right? And so then if you come and you go like, hey, I want to go invest in real estate, I might tell you to pump the brakes a little bit because you already have the majority of your net worth in real estate. You might want to go put it in other parts of your balance sheet. Whereas someone else who only has, you know, 20% of their net worth in real estate, it may make a ton of sense in that moment to go look at real estate opportunities. But it can help you start to look at how well diversified am I? How much resiliency do I have on my balance sheet? What percentage of my net worth is liquid, as you said, especially if the goal is to leave work early, or maybe we just want more opportunities for a sabbatical or to go back to school versus what's in retirement accounts versus what's in business interests versus what's in real estate. And you can kind of get that mix and understand what should I do next? Yeah, I agree. Really, the number of things that this does for you is enormous because if you have this figured out, all other questions can be related back to this. Questions about how should I invest? Questions about tax planning opportunities? Questions about insurance needs? Questions about which path should I take with my career? All these different questions you can constantly relate back to your balance sheet. But if you don't know the basic breakdown of that balance sheet, it's really hard to answer some of those questions or have a clear starting point for what you should even be focused on, what the right questions are to be asking as those things come up. Absolutely. And it ties into like expenses now versus extra expenses in the future, right? Or short-term kind of, you can think of that as short-term goals. Maybe we have to go put a down payment on a house soon, or we have a tax bill coming up. That will help understand what should we do with our balance sheet? Should we go deploy these to a longer-term goal, or should we keep them on a shorter-term time horizon, right? It's, it all ties back, but it all goes back to the lens of what matters to you. What are you trying to build? And then what do you do with these assets? The other thing that it helps do is it helps you look at where should I put my next dollar coming into this balance sheet? Yeah, exactly. Once you prioritize the gaps, not prioritize, once you identify kind of the gaps, okay, great. 
as you keep, don't make a drastic change today, or maybe do if it's way out of whack, but just reprioritize cash flow going forward until those imbalances are taken care of. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else you would add to this? You know, I think it almost starts geeking out into the expense side of things. But one of the things I always want to look at is how much debt are we carrying? And then how kind of taxing is that debt, right? So is it really weighing us down? Or are we house rich and cash poor because we have a lot of debt? And do we understand that? Or can we restructure any of that debt? You know, right now, that's probably not the case for most listeners. But a year ago, lots of refinances were happening, freeing up cash flow for people. So another thing to be thinking about. Yeah, and that's important to know too. I'm glad you brought that up because you know, let's take two identical households. Both have monthly expenses of $10,000. One, let's just say hypothetically as no debt and a lot of those expenses are just discretionary. The other, large mortgage and car payments and that is a big portion of the expenses. Well, if something happens, one of those households is in a lot better position to be able to cut back if needed, if there's a downturn in income or a job loss. So even understanding your flexibility, if something happens, can you cut back on expenses? A large part is that based on your balance sheet because of those debt payments. You can't just tell the bank, hey, I'm not going to pay you this month because I lost a job. They're still going to want their mortgage payment or their car payment or their student loan payment. So another area in which that helps to know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The only other thing that comes to mind for me, and it'd be more detailed, but it'd be like, I'd want to know, like, am I concentrated in something? So when I kind of mentioned real estate before, like, especially in Southern California, if you're a first time home buyer around here, uh, (laughs) or if you've owned a home for a while around here, with all the appreciation that's happened, your balance sheet might be really heavy real estate. Not necessarily a bad thing, but just good to know. And then the other component would probably be, do we have any other risks are we concentrated in a stock or something like that where we could really lose a lot of net worth if something worked against us, like has happened in tech and biotech more recently, right? In the last six months. Yep. Yep. This is a very simple exercise, but uncovers a lot of what could potentially be very important planning points when you do it. I don't even want you say do it well, it's just doing it helps to uncover a lot of stuff. So very important to go through this. And the reason I think it's good to do it like once every, at least once a year is because you can come back and ask yourself similar questions, but it's just, has anything changed? Am I still comfortable with this risk? Do I want to change where I allocate my next dollar? Has the tax code changed now? And it makes sense for me to divert funds elsewhere. You know, it it just, it gives you a chance to look globally at your balance sheet and figure out based on the goals that I have and the values that I have are there any shifts or changes I need to make big picture? And then from there, you can go look at the subcomponents, which we've talked about before. What are your asset allocations and all those things for different types of accounts? Yeah. All those fun types of things. Right on. Anything else? No. How about for you? No, I think that's it. So again, real simply the action step, get a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, left side, write out your assets. Doesn't have to be super basic. Do an Excel spreadsheet. If you prefer the tech version, Cash, checking, savings, brokerage accounts, retirement accounts, real estate, business interests, if any, on the right side, just debts. And what's the total value? What's the net worth? And then start to see maybe what gaps or what planning points could you then go pursue? Yeah. All right. Love it. All right. Well, thanks, Scott. Thank you. See y'all next time. Bye. 
thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.